Let's pray. Living God, we thank you that you're sovereign over us, over all time, over this word that I'm about to preach. And I pray that you would work in and through your word, the word preached, Holy Spirit, gift of God to us. Open our hearts and minds to receive what it is you have to say. We submit now to you. Amen. In 1942, T.S. Eliot published a poem called Little Gidding, the fourth and final poem of his well-known work, The Four Quartets. Delayed a year because the Germans were bombing his hometown, uh, his home country of Great Britain, uh, Little Gidding is a poem of Holy Spirit-fueled renewal. He uses the word fire a lot in that, uh, in that poem, but a lot of scholars think it's referring to the Spirit. Holy Spirit-fueled renewal in the midst of trials of hardship of life. One of the more quotable lines from that poem takes into the account that to understand our present moment, whatever that present moment might be, it's necessary to perceive the convergence of past influences, present realities, and future hopes. That quotable line is this, what we call the beginning is often the end, and to make an end is to make a beginning. The end is where we start from. In Christ, the spirit-fueled kingdom of God, what we experience as endings has the potential to be brand new beginnings. That's certainly Luke's position as he brings the book of Acts to a close in the 28th chapter. You and I have journeyed now on and off for two years through the book of Acts, and on this Pentecost Sunday, it is fitting not only to come to the end of this book, but also to the precipice or the jumping off point of a new beginning in the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, in order to get to the meaning of chapter 28, 28, the end of the book of Acts, it is vital for us to take another look at the beginning of the book of Acts. And so what I'm going to do is read for us from Acts 1, 1 through 8, and then I'm going to jump all the way to the end to Acts 28, 16 through 31. So let me begin now with Acts 1. The first account, I composed Theophilus, about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up to heaven after he had by the Holy Spirit given orders to the apostles whom he had chosen. To these he also presented himself alive after suffering by many convincing proofs, appearing to them over a period of 40 days and speaking the things concerning the kingdom of God. Now, gathering them together, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, for they were to wait for what the Father had promised, which he said, you heard it from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they were asking him, Lord, is now the time, is now the time that you're going to be restoring the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it's not for you to know the times or the epochs which the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power 
when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses in all of Judea and Samaria, and even to the remotest part of the earth. Now, Acts 28, starting in verse 17. After three days, Paul called together those who were leading men of the Jews, and when they came together, he began saying to them, Brethren, though I have done nothing against our people or our customs of our fathers, yet I was delivered as a prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans. And when they had examined me, they were willing to release me because there was no ground for putting me to death. But when the Jews objected, I was forced to appeal to Caesar. Not that I had any accusation against my nation. For this reason, therefore, I requested to see you and to speak to you, for I'm wearing this chain for the sake of the hope of Israel. And they said to him, We've neither received letters from Judea concerning you, nor have any of the brethren come here and reported anything bad about you. But we desire to hear from you what, are, what your views are. For concerning this sect, well, it's known to us, and it's spoken against everywhere. And when they had set a day for Paul, they came to him at his lodging in large numbers, and he was explaining to them by solemnly testifying about the kingdom of God and trying to persuade them concerning Jesus from both the law of Moses and from the, and from the prophets from morning until evening. Now some were being persuaded by the things spoken, but others would not believe. And when they did not agree with one another, they began leaving after Paul had spoken one parting word. The Holy Spirit rightly spoke through the prophet Isaiah to your fathers, saying, Go to this people and say, You will keep on hearing, but will not understand. And you will keep on seeing, but will not perceive. For the heart of this people has become dull, and their ears they scarcely hear. And they've closed their eyes, otherwise they might see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and return and I would heal them. Therefore, Paul continues, let it be known to you that the salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles. They will also listen. And when he had spoken these words, the Jews departed having a great dispute among themselves. And he stayed two full years in his own rented quarters at his own expenses, often the meaning of that phrase, and he was welcoming all who came to him, preaching the kingdom of of God and teaching concerning the Lord Jesus Christ with all openness unhindered. The end is often the beginning of something new. At least the end of Acts references the beginning. In the beginning, we encounter the centrality of the kingdom of God, and the main question that the disciples want to know in Acts chapter one is whether or not it was time for the kingdom of God to break in. And Jesus tells them, hey, it's not for you to worry about God's timing on the kingdom, but what you're to do is to wait and to wait expectantly, to wait for power, which is going to come from on high, which is the Holy Spirit. And Jesus says, I am going to make you witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the known world. Connections between the beginning to the end. Well, here's a main one. Jesus is the main character from chapter 1 to chapter 28. He's the one who rules. 
He's the one who calls people. He's the one who equips those people whom he calls. He's the one who sends, and he's the one whose kingdom is proclaimed. So it's all about Jesus. And the main subject of the book of Acts is the kingdom of God. It's the focal point of, di- of the disciples in chapter one, and it is the central message of Paul all the way in chapter 28. And for the remainder of our time together, I'm gonna summarize the central message of Acts, and I'm gonna do it in less than 20 minutes. Are we, are we ready? <laughs> Since the central message of Jesus in the Gospels and in the book of Acts is the kingdom of God, I'm gonna organize the kind of the framework of this message by speaking about three realities about the kingdom of God. Three realities of the kingdom of God, okay? And first, here's the first one. The kingdom of God is good news. Like whatever else is going on about the gospel and about the way that you're thinking about um, the Bible and about Jesus, whatever it is, it has to start here that the kingdom of God is good news. Many scholars argue that Mark's gospel was the first written, and Mark's gospel begins with the words, the beginning of the gospel. Gospel means good news. So the beginning of the good news of Jesus, the Son of God. There in that first chapter in Mark, we read this declaration that the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God has come near, is at hand, so repent and turn and trust in this good news. From the very beginning, what has been proclaimed by Jesus and his disciples and proclaimed by the church and the power of the Spirit, that's what, it's this, it's that Jesus in his person began the kingdom of God breaking into our world and that it's good news for the world. Sisters and brothers, like, let's just be honest, in this world of polarizing politics and divided churches and hateful speech, we've got to remember that above all, the very core of our faith, if we call ourselves Christian, is that Jesus and his inbreaking kingdom is good news. It's good news to our community. It's good news for, for the church. It's good news for the world. And the good news is that the God of the universe became human in an act of incarnation in roughly 6 BC. And at that point, the kingdom of heaven began breaking in. And wherever Jesus went in his physical person, he brought love to the unloved and truth to people caught up in half-truths and false narratives. And Jesus set people free who were captive by the influence of evil, and he spoke truth to corruption, especially corrupt religious power. And Jesus brought people into relationship with God and in godly community who had previously been sidelined and overlooked and underappreciated. The people of Israel were waiting since the prophets for God to become king. And the good news is that Jesus is king, and we participate in his kingdom through trust in him. The rest of the world, the non-Jewish world in the first century, of all of their stories and mythologies and politics and narratives, they're all waiting for something more than what nature could bring, than what idols could bring, than what empires could bring, 
They're waiting for the creator to gather his diverse children under one tent, around one table, under one Lord. The world, whether they know it or not, is waiting for Jesus. And in the book of Acts, we see the kingdom breaking in and being good news. We see the nations coming together, not under, not under the Roman Empire and their forced assimilation, not under the Roman Empire that, that, that makes people conformed by power and force, but by a crucified and risen Messiah who leads by sacrifice. And in Acts, we see the early church in the first century AD made up of men and women and leaders from Africa and Syria and Greece and Rome. And we see the Holy Spirit poured out on men and women and whole households, which includes children. And they're all being transformed in Christ. Jesus and his inbreaking kingdom is primarily good news. There's lots to be embarrassed about by the church and the media and people doing crazy stuff and saying crazy, stupid things. The, you've got to remember and encourage yourself in this that the primary message of our Lord, and that means our primary message, is good news. Amen? All right. The second reality that I see reflected in the book of Acts is that the in-breaking kingdom of God is costly. It's costly. With the gospel, the end truly is the beginning. Jesus, the, the one who we have placed our trust in if we say we're following him, is notorious for saying stuff in his teachings like, unless a grain of wheat falls to the earth and dies, has an end, then it can't bear any fruit. Unless it ends, it cannot become what it was made to become. It's costly. Jesus himself suffered an end to his life so that all of creation might find life. His end was truly the beginning for all of us. There's a cost to following Jesus. There's a cost to embracing his lordship and his kingdom. Stephen, in the book of Acts, followed Jesus and served others and loved his neighbors as himself, and he was stoned to death for proclaiming the good news of Jesus. He wasn't saying crazy stuff on Twitter. He wasn't being a political nut. He, he was loving people and talking about Jesus. In chapter 28, we learn that Paul is in house arrest and that he has rented this house with his own money. And then he uses that house to invite Jewish leaders from different synagogues in Rome to come and hear the message of Jesus and the inbreaking kingdom of God. And, and these leaders, they claim to have heard about Christians. Had they ever heard about Christians? L let me just remind you of some historical things that had happened previously you might remember in other parts of the book of Acts that Paul goes around to different places in Asia Minor and Greece, and he goes to Philippi, and he's talking, first of all, in synagogues about Jesus being the fulfillment of the law and the prophets and, and all of that. And inevitably, wherever he goes, there's conflict, because some people in the synagogue say, that sounds 
right, I'm all in. And then others are, are threatened by it. And they say, this man is, you know, is a heretic and we need to have him arrested or beaten or killed. Right? So Paul's always, the message comes with a cost. It comes with controversy. Well, that's exactly what happened in Rome roughly 10 years before Paul is in Rome. We don't know all the details, but we do know that the emperor Claudius expelled the Jews from Rome for about six years in the early 50s AD. And the theory is this, the, 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 the predominant theory is that Christian evangelists before Paul came to Rome, were talking in the synagogues, and there were these riots that were happening. And Claudius just got fed up and said, this Christian movement seems like a Jewish thing, right? Because it's, it's about a dead Jewish guy who they say rose from the dead. So I'm just going to kick all the ethnic Jewish people out of Rome. And that's what happened. So when Paul is proclaiming the gospel of Jesus to these Jewish synagogue leaders who had likely at least remembered the expulsion of Claudius, if not had lived through it themselves, they've got to be thinking, whew, if I become a Christian, if I start to follow Jesus, could this happen again? What will my brothers and sisters in synagogue think if I start taking this line? Right? There's a cost. There's a danger there. History tells us that just a few years later, after uh, Claudius is deposed and Nero comes into power, Nero's going to kill hundreds of Christians for sport in the arenas. Nearly, nearly all the original apostles ended up being martyred for their faith. In the book of Acts alone, we see Stephen, James, murdered by the powers that be, um, who, people that opposed the rule of Jesus. And then Peter and Paul would both be executed. Uh, Peter, of course, was a Jewish person, so he got crucified, and he chose to be crucified upside down, saying, I'm not worthy to be crucified like my Lord, so I'm going to do it upside down. Paul was a Roman citizen, so he got the Roman citizen death penalty, which is beheading. There's a cost. But even a life that doesn't end in martyrdom still costs. I mean, how many times was Paul arrested, beaten, disrespected, shipwrecked, weary, poor? There's a cost to following Jesus because part of the gospel, it means investing the life that we are given into the ways of Jesus. And when we do that, it yields fruit in the new creation. The end is the beginning. The good news of Jesus carries with it news for the way that power ought to work. And that will put us at odds with people when it comes to politics. There's no political party or political system above reproach. Okay? There's there's no system or party known to man that is above reproach. The good news of Jesus carries with it good news for the way that money ought to be used for the good of creation and the good of others, and it will put us at odds with our own selfishness and with the currents of our culture that encourage us to consume and overextend for our own pleasure. The good news of Jesus carries with it good news for how to be fully human 
And so it's going to put us at odds with the world for how we think about sex and sexuality, what it means to be limited as a human being and not a machine in the, in the, in the, you know, the machine, the economic machine. We can't keep pushing our bodies like industry would have us do. That's why we're going to plan a retreat. Spoiler alert. The gospel has something to say about what it means to treat other people well as image bearers of God. People of different cultures and ethnicities and genders and identities as all made in God's image. We're gonna be challenged on that. The inbreaking kingdom is costly because it will often be at odds with the way things are. But the kingdom of God, the inbreaking kingdom, is also costly to those reject, who reject it. Like, I've been talking a lot about the costs of actually following Jesus and living into the kingdom, but don't think like the other alternative is, is better. Uh, siding with empire and culture may prevent you from being ostracized or made fun of for a little while. It, it may make your life somewhat easier for a limited time, but empires, Roman, American, any other empire, they're not on your side. They're not for you. Emperor Claudius was a deranged man. He would pick people from the streets, have his guards grab random people, and after dinner, he would watch them tortured in his own courtyard for fun. This is the leader of the, the greatest empire in the world, so to speak, right? I mean, the, the sick. Nero was so insane that if he suspected you were a threat to his family or to the nation, you're likely to end up a meal in the games for a lion or a leopard. Rejecting Jesus is costly because his kingdom is a kingdom of righteousness and justice. There will be judgment on those who oppress and kill and cheat the poor and abuse the weak. There will be judgment on abusers and those who perpetuate hatred and racism and all dehumanizing policies. There will be justice. That's the positive end. There will be justice for the earth and for creation. And for those who have rejected Jesus and not trusted in him for forgiveness and redemption, there's going to be a reaping of what we sow. So following the empires of the world is costly. Following Jesus and his inbreaking kingdom is costly. And the significant difference is that with the world empire, the end is just the end. But in Christ, when we come to the end of this life, we're just at the beginning of the experience that's to come. So take heart. Suffering, failure, illness, persecution. These things don't mean that God is mad at you or that you've done something wrong. In the economy of God's inbreaking kingdom, the end is the beginning. New creation stands to greet us. And the third reality of the kingdom of God as revealed in Acts is this. The king of the inbreaking kingdom invites us to participate. 
invites us to participate. I mean, this is just amazing. Jesus, the king of the kingdom, invites us, all who desire to join, to participate in his good and gracious reign. Friends, that is the gospel. Part of the gospel is forgiveness. Part of the gospel is eternal life. But the meaty part, like forgiveness and eternal life are kind of like the bread, but like all the good stuff with the sandwich. I really like bread though. But anyway, I, the, there's a lot of good stuff in the, between the bread. And, and I would say the meatiest part of the gospel is, is that it makes living worthwhile between birth and burial. And I think this invitation from the king to participate in the kingdom gives us, I know I only had three points, but now I got three more. It gives us dignity and purpose and confidence, all right? So let me just like run through this. Dignity, we live in a day and age, don't we? Like every day and age to some degree in which in, insecure people are trying to find our, I'm putting myself in that, insecure people are trying to find our worth and dignity. Like we're on the hunt for it as if we don't already have it. It's an obsession. So we try and find dignity through achievement or through a group of friends or a tribe of people who, you know, it's our bubble, it's our peeps. Uh, we, we try to find dignity by embracing a lifestyle or avoiding reality through addiction. And whatever it is, we live in a culture where people are overly depressed, confused about identity, and living in perpetual shame. But the God of the universe, who made you and me in his image, invites us to participate in his kingdom work, in his plan of salvation, in his mission of blessing to the world. I don't know how many times I hear People say, I just want to make a difference in the world. I feel like I'm not making a difference in the world. Like, that's literally why we're here, is to make a difference in the world. And his invitation to you, let alone that you're made in his image, his invitation is dignifying as anything the world has to offer, because you're precious in his sight. And I know that that, doesn't, that language doesn't hit everyone. Like, I don't want to be precious. You're valuable in his sight, you have worth in his sight. The world wouldn't be the same without you in his sight. And if you like being precious, you're precious too. A major source of happiness and dignity is the feeling that we have a purpose in life. And you know what our purpose is? It's to take what God has given us and to bless others with it. The kingdom of God his love, his justice, his goodness, his beauty, his loving, righteous reign, all of that is breaking into our world, but it's not yet come in fullness. One day it will, and all will be well, but that day ain't here yet. And until that time, you and I are walking, talking, living, breathing, serving, previews of the kingdom of heaven. I like to think that we're samples of the banquet that is to come. You think samples can't have a lasting impact? Hey, in college, when I would mismanage my meal plan each month and run out of uh, food credits by the end, uh, my roommate and I would go to Costco for lunch, and we would just eat all the samples. And that sustained two college dudes at the end of every month. So samples matter in the world. You are a sample of the kingdom of God. You matter. The little things matter. 
Uh, let me just share a couple, of, a couple of things. This last week, Gary Moore and I have been connecting with a man who used to attend LSCC when he was a guest at the mission because he could just come right up the street. Anyway, he's doing great all these years later. He's clean and sober and got a good job, and he's looking to reconnect with Christian community, which is why Gary and I have been in contact. And last week, this guy's car got damaged by a hit and run, and I heard about it through another pastor in town who's also connected with this guy. Anyway, together we were able to cover his insurance deductible, simple, small, a foretaste, a sample of the kingdom, Another friend, someone here at Letter Streets Covenant Church, uh, was starting a new job uh, just yesterday. He needed some scrubs to help him make a good start in his new job uh, in the medical world. Um, and so he's connected with the guy at Lettered Streets. The guy at Lettered Streets was out of town this weekend, called me. Can we help him? Absolutely. So we go and get him scrubs. Simplest thing to do. Actually, we tag team. Corey got the scrubs. I delivered the scrubs. I got the glow. No, it's kidding. It's really cool. Uh, this guy is just beaming. Your church is awesome. Like, thank you for supporting me. He just, it was more than helping him get the gear for a job. You imagine what that does to his self-worth. He felt good wearing this new stuff going in for this new job. You guys, that's what it means to be a sample of the inbreaking kingdom of God. It's not rocket science. It's not hard all the time. It's beautiful. Stories like this abound in our church community from painting people's apartments to teaching ESL uh, to these small samples all over of the kingdom of God breaking in to nourish other people until it comes in full. And finally, the fact that, that the king of the inbreaking kingdom invites us to participate, it ought to give us confidence. And here's where I'm just gonna close. Luke ends his book called Acts on purpose the way he ends his book, all right? He likely wrote Acts well after Paul was released from this two-year imprisonment, uh, after he was rearrested years later, and after he was beheaded. Luke is probably writing after all of that stuff happens. And the point of Luke's account is not how Paul ended up, but the fact that the kingdom of God is unstoppable. At the beginning of the book, he says that the kingdom of God will go out into all the world, and then at the end of the book, we see the gospel proclaimed in Rome, a city which had all the roads of the world meeting as a hub. And from there, the good news of Jesus would go out over the centuries to all the world. And this gives us confidence because not even our failure or our sin, not our death, not the powers of the world or the powers of darkness can overcome God's plan. So rejoice. We've come to the end of the book of Acts, but it is just the beginning of our place in Jesus' world. We're not left to question our place, but our question is how will you respond? with hardness of heart or with trust that clings to the grace and kindness and lordship of Jesus. Lord, help us to choose the latter. Help us to choose to trust you, even with mustard seed-sized faith. Help us to cling to you like Paul and, and that crew clung to broken parts of the ship in the shipwreck and you bring us safely to shore. Help us 
cling to you with all that we have. Bless you. Thank you that your kingdom is all about good news. Amen.